This program is presented by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Hello, I'm Sarah Gregory, and today I'm talking with Dr. Anna Mandalikas, Director of the Global Tuberculosis Program at Texas Children's Hospital and Baylor College of Medicine in Houston. We'll be discussing tuberculosis among children and teens with HIV in sub-Saharan Africa. Welcome, Dr. Mandelicus. Thank you very much for having me here today, Sarah. AIDS first came to national attention in the early mid-80s. At that time, it was pretty much a death sentence. First, tell us what HIV and AIDS are. What's the difference and why is it now referred to as HIV slash AIDS together? Well, the terms have evolved quite a lot over the past several decades. And HIV specifically stands for human immunodeficiency virus. And HIV belongs to a group of viruses called retroviruses. And these, this virus attacks the white blood cells in the immune system. And if untreated, HIV develops into AIDS. AIDS actually stands for Acquired Immune Deficiency Syndrome. And it's actually an umbrella term that encompasses all of the illnesses that occur in a person if they have untreated HIV infection. So after several years of untreated HIV infection, a person's immune system is severely damaged and they're unable to fight off infections. Um, so basically, HIV is the virus that attacks the immune system and AIDS is the term that's used when the infection is widespread and the immune system falters, and these people are at high risk of illness and death. Um, however, HIV infection today is not a death sentence, and we know that if people living with HIV start medicine for the infection early, they actually can treat and contain their infection and actually have a long, healthy life. What's the state of the infection now? I understand that in the last roughly 30 years, things have improved dramatically for people who contract it. So actually, um, the, C the U.S. CDC published the first report about what would later be called AIDS in 1981. So it's been four decades that we have been dealing with HIV. Um, by 1992, HIV was actually the number one cause of death in the United States among men between the ages of 25 and 44. And then in the 90s, or actually the second half of the 90s, there were treatment guidelines put out that introduced the use of antiretroviral therapy, which actually proved to be very, very effective and greatly reduced HIV mortality rates. So fast forward now to 2020, um, in the United States, most people with HIV do not even develop AIDS because they're taking HIV medicine every day as it's prescribed and it stops progression to the disease. Um, globally, um, the organization, that, the WHO organization that deals with AIDS or works to control and eliminate AIDS is called UNAIDS, and they estimate that almost 38 million adults and children are living with HIV. How many people still get AIDS and HIV annually? Yes, so, right, so people with new infection each year. Um, in 2019, it was estimated that 1.7 million people 
became infected with HIV in just that year. Um, this is actually a 23% decline since 2010. But of these people with new infections, about 1.5 million were adults, and about 150,000 of the new infections occurred in children less than 15 years of age. Is there a geographic location where HIV is most prevalent? Yes, absolutely. Um, it varies based on geography. And the vast majority of people living with HIV live in low- and middle-income countries. And in 2019, they estimated that almost 21 million people living with HIV were in Eastern and Southern Africa. So that's about 55% of the population in the world living with HIV. Um, after that, about 5 million or 13% are in West and Central Africa, and another almost 6 million, which is another 15%, are in Asia and the Pacific. Now, actually, only about 2 million or 6% in Western and Central Europe and North America. Explain to us what tuberculosis is and how it differs from HIV. At the simplest level, tuberculosis is a disease caused by bacteria, and HIV is a disease caused by a virus. The two diseases are very different and distinct, but entwined. Um, so tuberculosis is often referred to as TB. Um, the disease has existed in mankind for millions of years. And we know this because the DNA from the germ has been found in Egyptian and Peruvian mummies. We have amazing history from the Industrial Revolution where TB was responsible for up to 25% of all deaths in major European and U.S. cities. And the disease spread very easily because the disease is spread through the air. Um, so when an infectious person coughs or sings or does anything that puts the germ into the air into these little droplets, people around them can breathe the germ in and become infected. And actually about 25% of the world's population is infected with the germ that causes TB. But the vast majority of these people are not sick because their immune system contains the infection and prevents the germ from making them sick. Um, in contrast, again, HIV is caused by a virus, and HIV is spread through body fluids and blood, and so the transmission of HIV is much different than that of TB. Why are people with HIV more susceptible to TB? So people living with HIV are more prone to develop TB disease after becoming infected with the germ because of their weakened immune system. HIV actually attacks the immune system and specifically wipes out the cells which fight the TB germ. So people living with HIV are not able to contain that HIV infection and prevent the infection from developing into disease like healthy individuals without HIV infection. Your study is about TB among children and teens with HIV in sub-Saharan Africa. Where's sub-Saharan Africa? Sub-Saharan Africa is the area of the continent in Africa that lies south of the Sahara Desert. And this region includes about 40 countries. Our study actually included clinics from six of these 40 countries. 
And the countries that we included in our study were Eswatini, which used to be called Swaziland, Lesotho, Botswana, Malawi, Uganda, and the United Republic of Tanzania. How did children and teens get HIV? Children and teens can become infected with HIV two different ways. So if an infant is born to a mom living with HIV, they can become infected at the time of birth. And this is referred to as vertical transmission. And this type of transmission can be prevented if the child receives medicine to prevent the infection around the time of birth and thereafter. And similar to adults, children and teens can also become infected with HIV from exposure to blood of body fluids that contain HIV. And this exposure must commonly happen sexually. But exposure can also occur from using dirty needles, needles are receiving infected blood if proper screening is not completed. What's the age span of these kids in your study? So our study included children from birth all the way up to 19 years of age. And is TB a big problem there also? So in 2016, 2.5 million people fell ill with TB in the African region. And that accounts for a quarter of the new TB cases worldwide. Um, and so an estimated 417,000 people died from the disease in the African region in 2016 alone. Over again, over 25% of the deaths from TB that year occurred in the African region. Uh, approximately how many kids are there with TB and HIV in that region? So the UN Joint Program on HIV AIDS, which I mentioned previously, is called UNAIDS estimates that 85% of the 2.6 million children with HIV infection are living in Sub-Saharan Africa. And about 650,000 children living with HIV and approximately 1,000 infected infants are born every day in Africa. Of the 10 million people who fought TB in 2019, about 2.5 million of these live in Africa. And of these people, about 600,000 are living with HIV. So basically, about 30% of the people with TB in Africa actually are also living with HIV. What kinds of treatment is available for both TB and HIV? What did you find works best? Do the treatments work in conjunction or do you treat them separately? So there are specific drugs that you use to treat TB and specific drugs that you use to treat HIV. Um, and TB-specific drugs actually can be given to people with TB infection to prevent the germ from replicating and prevent the person from becoming ill. And um, so developing active disease and being symptomatic. And TB drugs can also be given to a person once they have TB disease. And really depending on the type of disease that the person has and how severe that disease is, the drugs are given anywhere from six months to two years. That longer period of two years is when people have drug-resistant TB. But in the vast majority of cases, TB drugs can cure TB disease. Um, so the specific drugs used to treat HIV are referred to as antiretroviral therapy. Um, and they're called ARTs for short. And if ART is taken regularly, people, with, people living with HIV 
can have a long, healthy life. And so these medications, unlike the TB medications, the HIV medications don't cure HIV, but they actually control the infection and prevent people from getting severe complications of the disease. And in adults, research has clearly shown um, that the risk of developing TB is much lower in people who are living with HIV and taking the ARTs regularly every day of the weather prescribed compared to people who are not taking ARTs. Why did you do this study? So in contrast to what I just shared with adults, um, research in children's not consistently shown that taking ART prevents TB. So our team completed this study to help identify factors that increase the risk of TB in children and adolescents living with HIV and to better understand if ART prevents TB in these children. And how'd you go about doing the study? What kind of data did you use? So over the past 20 years, pediatricians from Texas Children's Hospital and Baylor College of Medicine, which are both in Houston, Texas, have partnered with clinicians in Africa to provide care and treatment for children and their families who are living with HIV. Um, and since TB is the leading cause of death in people living with HIV, our network of HIV clinics have integrated TB care and treatment within these clinical programs. So to answer our study questions, we were actually able to use data extracted from the medical records of children and adolescents living with HIV who have been receiving care at our clinics. Tell us briefly all about it. Okay, so we were actually able to analyze data on almost 1,200 children and adolescents living with HIV in whom TB was diagnosed during a four-year period. And that's the clinical network that I just described provides care for so many children the data actually encompassed over 57,000 patient years' worth of data. And that's a huge, huge amount of patient years' worth of data. And so first we determined how much TB disease these children and adolescents had actually been battling. And next we looked at the amount of TB disease that occurred in this group of children over time. And we compared that to the amount of HIV treatment that these children were receiving over time. And then finally, finally, we looked at a long list of characteristics in the children who developed TB disease to see if any of these characteristics were associated with an increased chance of the children recovering from TB disease versus dying from TB disease. What did you find? We were actually able to answer our questions. And one of the most impressive things we found was there are extremely high rates of TB in children and adolescents living with HIV that came to our clinics for care. So each year, about two out of every 100 of these children and adolescents develop TB. So for comparison, this is about 2,000 times higher than the amount of TB we find in children in the United States. Next, we observed that during the four-year study period, the number of children who were receiving ART, so treatment for their HIV infection, increased. And the number of children developing TB decreased. So among the children receiving care at our clinics, a 10% increase in the number of children taking ART 
was associated with about a 2% reduction in the number of children developing TB disease. And that's a pretty impressive association to show how the HIV medicines can prevent TB in children, just like they do in adults. And then finally, we were actually able to identify some factors that were associated with recovering from TB. And really impressively, we were able to show that children and adolescents living with HIV were less likely to die from TB if they had been receiving ART and participating in routine HIV care for a long period of time. So taking their medicine, seeing their doctors regularly, they were much, much more likely to do well after developing TB disease than children who had just entered care or were not getting their HIV medicine. Is there a way to stop or slow the increase of cases of children and teens with both these infections? So at a very broad level, HIV is linked to really vulnerable groups and marginalized populations. So improving the lives of millions of children and adolescents in these settings and improving access to care and access to testing will actually really improve outcomes for children and teens. Once we actually um, get down, so at the individual patient level, we know that earlier and more comprehensive detection of cases is one of the most important things we can do to help control both TB and HIV epidemics. And if we can detect cases early, we can decrease the risk of secondary cases, so decrease the spread of both HIV and TB to other people. For TB, once we know people have been exposed TB or infected with the germ, we can give them preventive treatment to prevent them from going on to develop disease. And for HIV, if we know moms are living with HIV, we can treat their exposed newborn babies and minimize the chance almost to zero that the babies are infected with HIV. And similarly, if we know that a teen is living with HIV, we can empower these teens to use safe sexual practices and limit the spread of HIV infection to their sexual partners. How about individually? I mean, either HIV or TB. And so at the individual level, we can help to curb both the TB and HIV epidemics by eliminating social stigma associated with these infections. And actually, fear stigma is one of the major barriers that holds people back from getting testing for both TB and HIV. And in addition, fear of stigma is a barrier for people to complete or give preventive treatment to their children, actually. And as, an, as a result of you know, these parents being afraid that someone is going to think that their family has TB or HIV if they give their children this medicine, we miss opportunities to prevent disease in children. And so one really easy first step to actually minimize stigma is to be careful about the language we use when talking about these diseases. And every single one of us can do this. So, for example, rather than referring to a person being infected with HIV, we can say a person is living with HIV because having an infection in general sounds negative and judgmental and also dispowering. So, you know, the language we use is, is very powerful and something that every one of us can do um, every time we're involved in a conversation about this. Were there any challenges to this research? 
challenge in this analysis was our ability to measure the amount of TB preventive treatment that children receive to prevent TB disease. And that's actually probably a good problem to have anyway, because during the study period, there was a lot of energy and, and commitment from the World Health Organization to push forward the use of TB preventive therapy. And because of this, the guidelines in all these countries were rapidly changing as more and more children were starting to get TB preventive therapy. But because of these rapid changes in the guidelines, we weren't able to accurately measure the amount of TB preventive therapy that the children received. So it made it difficult to understand how much of the improvement or how much of the decline in TB disease was a result of TB preventive therapy rather than HIV treatment. There are some programs I know that are funded by the U.S. and other countries to help with HIV AIDS. Is this true for TB also? Yes, yes, this is absolutely true for TB also. Um, so in 2019, actually, 87% of the world's TB cases, interestingly, were found in 30 countries that are primarily low- and middle-income countries. And actually, two-thirds of the world's TB cases occurred in only eight countries. And India leads this, followed by Indonesia, China, the Philippines, Pakistan, Nigeria, Bangladesh, and South Africa. And through many, many uh, mechanisms, high-income countries help to support these countries to combat TB. And one of the primary routes is through support of the World Health Organization. And in addition, the U.S., provides substantial support through funding that throws through USAID, PEPFAR, CDC, the NIH, and the Department of Defense. So in addition to these governmental organizations, a substantial amount of funding comes from non-governmental organizations. And within the TB arena, the two organizations that provide the most funding for TB is the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and also CHI, which is the Clinton Health Access Initiative. Are there any actions or further studies that you'd like to see? So, although we've made major progress over the past decade, there remains a, a lot of opportunity to um, improve our ability to accurately detect TB disease. So, in, in 2019, about 30% of the people battling TB were not diagnosed and they never received any treatment. In children, this, this case detection gap is over 50%, which is just incredibly unacceptable. And there's actually recent evidence that demonstrates that over 96% of the children who die from TB were never diagnosed and never received treatment, and they never even had the chance to fight the infection. Now, I would actually like to see a lot more studies completed to improve not only testing to help better diagnose TB disease in these children, but also studies to identify better ways to screen children at risk for TB disease and infection. And by improving screening methods, we can then more accurately identify where children and teens should then go on to complete additional diagnostic testing. Thereby, we can diagnose disease earlier and more completely and increase the number of children to recover from disease. And to put this into a little bit of a context for you, um, 
the United Nations targets, actually, with respect to TB are to achieve 90% diagnosis, um, no, sorry. What are the recommendations to help people not get TB or HIV? Consistently practicing safe sex and safe use of needles is indisputably the most effective way to prevent becoming infected with HIV. Um, Similarly, without a doubt, completing TB preventive therapy after becoming infected with the TB germ reduces the risk of developing TB to negligible levels. And TB preventive therapy is safe and it's effective. And most recently, shorter and equally effective treatment options have become available. And TB control programs in many places have developed great capacity to support patients to complete TB preventive therapy. And in the United States, we actually do this with video messaging apps. It's actually never been easier to prevent yourself from developing TB. Tell us about your work and what you enjoy most about it. I'm actually based in Houston, Texas, at Baylor College of Medicine in Texas Children's Hospital. And I'm actually really fortunate to work with amazing groups of clinicians and researchers working in different settings around the world who are really, truly committed to serving vulnerable children and families that are battling both TB and HIV. And uh, the work we do on the front lines really makes a difference in people's lives every day. And so my job is outrageously rewarding. I, I really, I'm really privileged to work with a committed and passionate group of people. Um, and I'm actually excited when I wake up for 16 conference call with colleagues in half a dozen countries and time zones spanning from Papua New Guinea to Eswatini through Houston. And I just, I really love my work. And what do you enjoy doing in your personal time? So I have three wonderful daughters and uh, four very spoiled puppies, which keep me pretty busy and feeling pretty blessed. And I'm pretty good about carving out time for gardening and yoga and a few long runs every week. Thank you for taking the time to talk with me today, Dr. Mandelicus. And thank you so much for having me. It was really um, a pleasure to be here with you. And Thanks to all your listeners for having an interest in TB and HIV. And thanks for joining me out there. You can read the December 2020 article, Tuberculosis Among Children and Adolescents at HIV Treatment Centers in Sub-Saharan Africa, online at cdc.gov EID. I'm Sarah Gregory for Emerging Infectious Diseases. For the most accurate health information, visit cdc.gov or call 1-800-CDC-INFO.